Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us once again. And don't forget, guys, next week is our little break, so you won't have an episode next week. Getting in there quick to warn you. I love how you said don't forget. I don't think we've told them yet. I feel like we did tell them. Well, maybe we I haven't. I think we meant to last week, yeah. Is this me technically gaslighting our listeners? <laughs> you so gaslighted them there. Um, weirdly, last week was our 100th episode, which we completely missed. <gasps> How did we not realise? I know, because I knew it was coming up and I went back today and I thought it's going to be this week and I went back and counted them all up and yeah, we're at 101 today. Happy 101! Yeah, exactly. At least we can celebrate it's over 100 episodes now, which is pretty cool. So so yeah, thank you to each and every single one of you that uh, continues to listen to us talking about cases that we find interesting and um yeah the listenership has grown over the months and the years which is amazing so um if you're still here from the beginning thank you for your support and if you're one of our relatively new listeners well that's great too it is it's amazing so yeah thank you so so much guys um a few thank yous as well to our newest patreon supporters um so thank you you guys yeah thank you esha nabahan francesca groom Pauline O'Donnell, thank you so much, Pauline, and Bill Thomas as well. Thank you so much for your support through Patreon. If you don't currently support the show, but you would like to, if you want some extra bonus content, if you want some seeing red stickers, etc, etc, then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. Oh, and if people want some Seeing Red goodies, we've got our merchandise available at the moment until the end of the year. We certainly do. Yeah, we've got some amazing stuff. Uh, so tell, tell them what we've got. We have a few different t-shirt designs that are all reasonably customizable as well. So you can pick and choose. We've got some bags. We've got some winter hats, like beanie hat things. And we've got the wine gin and beer glasses so yeah so much to choose from and i think i think i'm right in saying the t-shirts have been the most popular so far they have been yeah really really popular and we've got fuck off mark shut up bethan we do and we've also got tracy loves cock of course i mean if your name is tracy or if your partner's tracy then that is a no-brainer you've got to get that t-shirt and get it on and send us a photo that would absolutely make our day so if you want to see the full range of what we have head over to our facebook group um are we just seeing red a true crime podcast over there yeah so the page is seeing red the podcast So that's available to everybody. But if you also want to join the group at the same time, why wouldn't you want to join the group? That is Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. Um, So the the photos for how to order and the actual merchandise is all on the page. So excited. I can't wait to see people in there with their pictures and their selfies of them in in their merchandise. It's so exciting. And kind of going along with the theme of thank you for everybody who listens today's case is going to be a listener requested case and i haven't actually told this person so i'm hoping it's a nice surprise for them yeah they're gonna love that hopefully i hope so jd rohan on instagram thank you for your case suggestion i found it really really interesting to research and here you go this is your episode In a remote home in the countryside, 43 miles out of Munich, in March 1922, strange things were going on. The Gruber family lived in a place known locally as Hinterkaifeck. (laughs) Fucking what? Hinterkaifeck. How would you pronounce it? Uh, Hinterkaifeck. 
not hint okay fuck um i didn't say that okay. and you're just being rude now <laughs> i'm sorry just crack on with it i'm sorry have you had a drink no already? i actually haven't Have this you? time although i don't think it was last week maybe the week before i'd had i'd like polished off nearly a bottle of wine when we did this what when you thought that a cat in the dock was the funniest thing oh uh, yeah heard maybe of? it was that episode yeah i did think that maybe you were a bit drunk i no. wasn't drunk i was just i just had a couple of drinks so we're back in 1922 in the Gruber family home. Okay, are you going to be okay, Mark? Yes, I'm fine. So there was a man with a moustache who was seen stood staring at the family home. He was seen on a couple of occasions. And farmer Andreas Gruber noticed strange footprints in the snow leading from the woods to the machine room, but no footprints headed the other way. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. Andreas had found a strange newspaper on the property, which was from Munich, and it hadn't been purchased by anyone in the family. And the paper hadn't also been delivered accidentally either, because none of their neighbours subscribed to it. A set of house keys went missing, and footsteps were heard in the attic. Andreas did search the building on a number of occasions, but nobody was found inside. And whilst he did discuss these strange things with his neighbours, he said he didn't want to report any of it to the police and he refused any offers of assistance. Six months previously, the family's maid had quit, claiming that she heard strange sounds in the attic, and saying she thought the house was haunted. And on the 31st of March, her replacement, Maria Baumgartner, arrived, and she was there to help out with seven-year-old Kazelia Gabriel and two-year-old Joseph Gabriel, who were Andreas's grandchildren. Also at the home were Andreas's wife, Kazalia, and their daughter, Victoria Gabriel, who was the mother to the children. Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel, had reportedly been killed in France by a shell attack in December 1914, so during the First World War. Maria arrived at the house that afternoon, dropped off by her sister, who stayed for a little bit before leaving. Four days later, the entire household was found dead, murdered in a brutal and savage attack, and the mystery has never been solved. God, you are so getting us into the kind of Halloween vibes with this. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. This is like a pre-Halloween, I don't want to use the word treat, it's probably more of a trick. Um, But yeah, this is really getting me in the mood for it. It's really creepy, isn't it? At some point late that evening, Andreas, Kazelia the grandmother, Victoria and Kazelia the granddaughter had made their way over to the family barn through the stables. No one knows why they did this. Perhaps they heard something outside and they went to investigate, or perhaps they planned to go out to the barn. But it appears they didn't walk over together as a group of four. So perhaps when the first person didn't return, a second went to see what was happening. Either way, they all ended up out of the house in the barn and one by one they were killed with blows to the head with a mattock, which is a pickaxe type of tool. The young girl, called Kazalia, actually remained alive for about four hours, pulling out her hair in distress, surrounded by her family members. Oh my god, How so she was just a young girl, like literally a child? She was seven years old. Oh, that is just, that's so distressing to hear that that's how she reacted mm-hmm. to to that level of trauma. Completely understandable, but... That's just so sad, isn't it? Yeah. And then the killer made his way into the house where he killed Maria in her bedroom and Joseph, who was in his cot. Maria, who had literally arrived that afternoon. 
That night, a man called Michael Plockel passed by the homestead. He noticed that the oven was on and he said that the smoke coming out of it smelled really disgusting. He saw someone tending to the oven, but the person held up a lantern, blinding him in the pitch dark, and he quickly hurried away. The police never investigated it or what was being burned in the oven that night, so nobody knows. The next day, on April the 1st at 3am, Simon Reiblandler, I don't know how to say that, I'm oh, really that not beautiful. sure. that was beautiful. I hoped it sounded good. Um, he was a local farmer and butcher, and he was on his way home when he passed the Hinterkaifeck house. He saw two unknown figures at the side of the forest, but he didn't really get a good look at their faces, and they turned away when they spotted him. Later on that day, April the 1st, a pair of coffee sellers arrived for a meeting at the homestead, but no one answered their knocks at the door or the knocks at the window that they did. They walked around the yard, but they didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, so they left. They did note that the door to the machine room was open, but they clearly weren't worried about this. There had been smoke coming out of the chimney, and for the next couple of days, it didn't seem like the house was empty. But people noticed that the family were absent to things, like Cazalia hadn't gone to school as normal. The postman noticed that the mail was building up, and the family didn't go to church on the Sunday. But it wasn't until the 4th of April that anyone properly investigated. But I'm, I'm guessing that it was a remote house. Reasonably, yeah. Yeah, so it's a farm, and this is a long time ago. So it's not like they would have had phones or anything that were going unanswered. Um, So it is just a number of unconnected visitors to the house that, well, they've not really noticed anything is amiss. And then it's just a number of coincidences, the children not going to school, etc. But no one's going to put two and two together when they're just one piece of of the jigsaw. No, and no one's really going to be talking about that. The postman isn't going to talk to a coffee seller or a teacher. It's, It's kind of, yeah, different people having all these little pieces of the... The puzzle, as you said. Albert Hofner arrived on the 4th to make some repairs that he was booked in for. When he arrived, the homestead felt empty and quiet, and whilst he could hear the dogs running around and barking, and the farm animals moving around, he observed no sounds that indicated the family were home. He waited for about an hour before deciding to start the work. I guess he assumed the family were out on a walk and they'd be home soon, or something. By the time he finished, over four hours later, they still hadn't appeared. But there had, however, been some movement on the farm. When he'd arrived, the dog was barking inside the house and the barn door was closed. When he finished, the dog was tied up outside and the barn door was ajar. He headed into town and when he bumped into two women he knew, who were daughters of a local guide, he remarked to them about how weird it had been at the farm. And he also told the mayor, Greg, about this too. So finally, someone's talking about how weird it's been. But that's taken four days. Yeah. And it's taken someone being on the homestead for four hours not seeing anybody to realise. Yeah. So the two young women that he'd um, seen, they told their dad, Lorenz, what Albert had told them. And so he sent his son, who was 16, and stepson, who was nine, over to the Hinterkaifeck farm to see if they could find the family. So the son and stepson had a look around, but they couldn't find anyone. And at this point, the dog was back inside and the barn door was closed. Lorenz decided to head over and check it out himself with a pair of local men. And by this point, they were really worried because so much was out of character. Lorenz, Michael and Jacob headed to the farm. This time, they didn't just call out for the Gruber family. They made their way into the barn. And here they made the awful discovery of the four family members. Heading into the house, they found Maria and Joseph. And then they rushed to go and alert the police. 
The police investigations were not particularly thorough and by today's standards were incredibly shoddy. Many people had already trampled all over the scene, but as they investigated, the police did little to protect the scene either. The family's kitchen was used by the police and the witnesses to prepare food and drinks. The police then sat and ate at their table. Like, screw the fact that that's going to really mess up with the crime scene. That's just so disrespectful, isn't it? It's really weird. You just wouldn't hear of that these days. But I wonder if it's a bit normal then. Maybe they were eating the family's food as well. I think, I don't imagine that they would have brought anything. I think they did just, they needed food. So there, there were some. The bodies were moved from place to place. They didn't preserve any fingerprints and they barely took any photos. In fact, just five pictures were taken of the crime scene. So two photos showed the bodies in the barn. One showed Maria in her chamber. One was a picture of Joseph's wrecked bassinet in Victoria's bedroom. And the final photo was an outside view from the yard. And Albert, that mechanic who'd done the repairs, wasn't even spoken to until three years later. So back to April 1922, the day after the bodies were discovered, the court physician, Johann Baptiste Amulia, he performed the autopsies in the barn on, on the bodies, like kind of in situ, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, really. I guess at least they're not being moved even more. I'm pretty sure when, the, when there have been those big massacres that that's, that does happen quite often. They will yeah. conduct an autopsy out in the field, so to speak. So he determined that a mattock was the most likely murder weapon, but there was no mattock at the scene. The skulls of the victims were then removed and they were sent to Munich, where they were further examined by clairvoyance to unearth metaphysical clues. I'm not saying whether I do or don't believe in that, but I I don't really think it should form part of a police investigation. You might be surprised to hear that the clairvoyants were unsuccessful. Um, And to make matters worse, the heads were actually lost during the turmoil caused by World War II, which I just think is really sad. See, I was going to say it's almost laughable, but I can only say that really because this is 100 years ago. Um, I wouldn't be saying that if it was more recent, and I'm not laughing at it, but it is, it's farcical. Yeah, it absolutely is. The police believed at first that the family had been victims of a robbery, so they focused their attentions on travelling salesmen and vagrants as well as locals, but then they found a load of money in the house, so they realised this probably wasn't the reason for the killings. It also became clear that the killer or killers had stayed in the farmhouse with the victims for days after the murders. They were feeding and watering the animals, as well as eating bread and meat from the kitchen. So this kind of made me think of you trying to imagine what people do on a farm. I can't remember what episode it was recently, but you were like doing farm stuff. I can't remember her name, but it was the woman who killed her own baby oh, on a parent's her farm. Oh, baby, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So basically the, the killer or killers had stayed in the farmhouse, which again reminded me also of um, the Mayazawa family that I covered recently. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, they basically did all of like the general farm stuff to keep the farm running. So feeding the animals and that sort of thing. And there had also been that smoke that the neighbours had seen coming from the chimney. So they'd really made themselves at home and kept the, the farmstead kind of going. On Saturday the 8th of April, the victims were then buried in a local cemetery and something I read was that because their heads were then lost during World War II, they were never buried with their heads and I just found that really, really sad. It just gave me 
like a bit of a shudder. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I think if there's one part of your body that you really want to be buried with, it's your head, isn't it? Because it's so much of who you were. Yeah. So before we move on to talking about the suspects and what the police potentially thought could have happened to what people since then over the last hundred years have, have kind of had as theories, let's hear from today's sponsor. The police began to formulate a list of suspects, even though they were never able to find out a specific motive for the murders. More than a hundred suspects have been questioned throughout the years, but despite numerous arrests, no murderer has ever been found. Eventually, the case was officially classed as closed in 1955, although it wasn't forgotten about, and the final interrogations actually took place in 1986. In court, it was suggested that the victims were probably drawn to the barn by restlessness in the stable that had resulted in noises from the animals, but later on, some tests were done that revealed at least human screams from the barn couldn't be heard in the living area. So why did all the four family members go out there? Nobody knows for sure what happened, of course, but a reconstruction based on the positioning of the bodies revealed that Victoria Gabriel was likely the first murder victim, followed by her mother, Cazalia, and then next was Andreas, and finally the young girl, Cazalia Gabriel, and inside the house, the maid would have been killed first, and then Joseph. The assumption is the killer was already on the property, if not inside the house, before the murders, and considering the other maid quit six months prior to that, there is the possibility that the killer or killers were on the property hiding in secret for months. I mean, that's horrible, isn't it? But obviously, I think you said at the beginning that they could hear footsteps in the attic or the basement or somewhere. Yeah, in the attic. Yeah, so that could have been somebody living in the house for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So as well as the weird things that the family had noticed, after they'd been murdered, there were also noticed that there were shifted roof tiles and some hollows in the hay. There may be a reason for these that I will cover off shortly, but it also could have been the killer or killers. And if the killer or killers had remained on the property for a while, this would also explain why, when the mechanic was there, the dog was moved and tied up in a different place. Weirdly, in the middle of May 1927, a stranger was said to have stopped a local in the middle of the night asking questions about the murders. Then he shouted he was the murderer before he ran into the woods. This stranger was never identified, but I think we all knew someone who's a bit of an idiot like that. Oh my God, I cannot believe this because I was literally, before you said that, I was going to say that that's kind of the sort of thing I would do. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely that idiot. Yeah, so that kind of... Have a few drinks and then go, I'm the murderer. Yeah, you are not wrong there that it would be some kind of idiot and we all know one. Mm -hmm. Pointing at you. Yeah. So, who were the suspects and the potentials? And I'm really interested to find out your thoughts, Mark, around this. So, first of all, there was Lorenz. He's the local guide that went to investigate. He was one of the men to discover the bodies. It was rumoured that he had had a relationship with Victoria and was actually Joseph's father. So, the initials LS appear on Joseph's birth certificate, although these could be the initials of an attending doctor, apparently. But Lorenz came under suspicion by a number of locals early on in the investigation because he was behaving suspiciously after the discovery of the bodies. So the group had broken a gate to get into the barn, but once they found the bodies, Lorenz used a key to get into the main house and then he entered the house alone. A set of keys had gone missing several days before the murders, although if he actually was in a relationship with Victoria, maybe he had his own keys. 
And then when the other men asked why he'd gone into the house alone, when it was unclear if the murderer might still be there, Lorenz apparently said he'd gone to look for his son. So it it does sound very plausible that he was that boy's father. But why would he have killed everybody and the the son? If it was his son, like, why would he kill them? That seems weird. But men, men do that, women do that too. That happens to this day, that somebody will just annihilate their own family. So it could be almost that there is no motive other than just some kind of messed up, I don't know what. Yeah, and he was a bit, he was behaving a bit suspiciously in 1925 because he was found looking at the remains of the building that had been demolished. When he was asked why he was there, he apparently said something about how the murderer hadn't been able to bury the family because the ground had been so frozen. Um, But then some people are kind of like, well, he's just talking about the fact that he knew it was frozen at the time. It's It doesn't mean he was the murderer. If he were, If he knew anything about the land, which pretty much everybody did back then, he would have already had that thought maybe. And he would have known the time of year it would have been impossible to bury them. Locals often said he knew too much about the specifics of the case. Um, This theory about the ground could have been an educated guess, or like we said, he might have just well known that. Um, Speculation was rife that Lorenz had murdered the family after Victoria had demanded financial support for the baby. Um, But he denied this, and just before his death in 1941, he actually won several civil claims for slander against people who called him the murderer of Hindkafek, and whatever the reasons for him having a key or knowing details of the crime, and whether or not Joseph was his son, it is clear that Lorenz did disturb the bodies at the scene and potentially compromise the investigation. That I think that's a really plausible motive, that she was asking for financial support and he perhaps couldn't provide that, and maybe he didn't want it getting back in the village to his wife that he had fathered a baby. Yeah, that's interesting, it could well be. Yeah. The former maid who had left the home six months previously, now she seems to be a bit of a gossip, but I can't work out if she's a bit of a gossip or if the police asked her loads and loads of questions. Can't work it out yet. But first of all, she suggested that a pair of brothers were the killers. These were called Anton and Carl Bichler, and they had worked on the farm with potato harvest and apparently knew the family. The maid said at one point Anton suggested that the family ought to be dead and the maid told the police that the farm dog, who generally barked at everyone, had never barked at Anton. She thought that Anton and Carl could have committed the murder together with another guy called George, who had worked at Hinterkaifeck as well and was aware of a fortune that the family apparently had. Apparently George had broken into the house the year before the murders and stolen a number of items, although he denied this. And considering the police didn't believe it was a robbery, that seems quite unlikely as a theory. Yeah, I can't see that because didn't you say a large amount of money was found in the house? Exactly. These guys would have taken it. Yeah, and I I doubt it was uh, hidden very well. So if the motive was robbery, that money would not have been there at all. Yeah. Um, So the maid with loads of opinions also accused petty thieves Joseph Thaler and his brother they were known for being burglars in the local area and they were seen near the Hentkefek farm before the crime. The maid said that Joseph had asked her questions about the family, had made a comment that they had loads of money and he also claimed to know which family member slept in which room. So that's weird stuff to come out with but clearly there was no evidence really to point to him as a valuable, like viable suspect because the police didn't really do anything about that. 
And she loves pointing the finger, doesn't she? Names galore here. Yeah, I can't work out if the police were really questioning her lots and and she just was like, well, potentially, potentially, or whether she went to them and was like, I think it's this guy. It kind of sounds like the latter. An author called Bill James has put forward Paul Mueller as a suspect for the murders in his book The Man from the Train, which he wrote with his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James. To write this book, Bill suspected a possible serial killer was the perpetrator of the slaughter of an entire family in their isolated home, using the blunt edge of a farm tool as a weapon. And in another similarity to the Hinterkaifeck murders, robbery wasn't seen to be a motive, so he believed this was the action of a practised criminal, he found similar crimes before his daughter Rachel McCarthy James found more, and then the father and daughter team discovered scores of murders of entire families committed between 1898 to 1912, and they occurred in Nova Scotia, Oregon, Kansas, Florida, Arkansas, and other locations. They say in their book they believe all of these were Paul Mueller. This guy was described as a German immigrant, so there is the potential that he had killed in multiple countries. I quite like this theory because it kind of takes that randomness and and shows that potentially it could have, and not just, but it could have just been a serial killer who happened upon that, that family and then continued travelling. I think what I find difficult about that, and I, I don't really know an awful lot about serial killers because I'm not drawn to their crimes as much as I'm drawn to things like a motiveless murder, for example. Um, but this is a whole family. Do serial killers kill like that? Would they target four people in one go, kill all of them and then move on to another family and kill all of them? Or do they tend to just kill lone individuals? I guess it it depends on whether or not you believe whether Bill and Rachel have, have discovered a serial killer because they did find all of these unlinked by the police, but they look linked to them sort of cases with no motive and no outcome. So yeah, it's it'd possible. be really interesting to find out because then this um, Paul Mueller, he was actually convicted of some crimes. So they've kind of put some others to his name. So it'd be interesting. That would, I think it's quite an interesting one that it could have potentially been him. Yeah. He did some stuff in Germany or maybe across Europe and then went over there to America. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, A couple of other theories look at the fact that Joseph Stad wasn't Victoria's husband. So Carl Gabriel had reportedly been killed in a shell attack in 1914. Joseph was born in his absence illegitimately. This isn't unusual, I guess, for the time. But there was a lot of speculation about who his father was. For example, Lorenz, who we talked about before. But some people believed that Victoria was in a relationship with her own father, Andreas, this was apparently common knowledge. It was even noted in court documents. We've not covered incest for... We've probably no. skirted around it a bit in some cases, but we've not... It's not something I like to discuss. No, it's not <laughs> not featured much in, in uh, no. 101 episodes, I don't think. Maybe that could be an idea for a potential future case. Yeah. So some people have theorised that Carl Gabriel wasn't killed in the war at all. He had returned and killed the family in revenge. But soldiers from his regiment testified to his death, and the police were inclined to believe them. Obviously, he could well have swapped identities with another soldier, if this theory were true. And the idea of Andreas and Victoria being in an incestuous relationship may well explain some of the strange things like the roof tiles and hay being out of place, because Andreas wouldn't have thought they were moved by the intruder if he and his daughter had been having a little tryst up in the 
in the roof. Mm, that's true. I, I mm. love the idea that her husband wasn't killed in the war. I think that's possible that he came back. It's quite a romanticised, like glamorous sounding theory, isn't it's it? It's like really? a movie. It a film. Yeah, it is. But that is really interesting because I think it would have been relatively easy to fake your own death in a war. And then, yeah, he could have come back, slaughtered the family, and he's got the perfect alibi. He was dead. Yeah, it's it's one that a lot of people have kind of thought about in a lot of detail, actually. I think it's one of those, though, like you say, because it's almost movie-esque, it's one that we gravitate towards and want it to be that because that makes a great story. And that's probably why I'm interested in the serial killer angle. Yeah. Hmm. Another man rumoured to be in a relationship with Victoria was a man called Adolf Gump. This guy had been involved, along with three others, in a previous murder, and his sister claimed on her deathbed that Adolf and their brother Anton had committed the murders. By the time this came out, though, it was 1951, Adolf had already died back in 1944, Anton was arrested but released when nothing could be proven, and in 1954 the case against him was finally discontinued. There was a woman who said in 1971 that she knew of a pair of brothers called Carl and Andreas whose mother had suggested they were the two murderers. The mum had said that Andreas regretted that he lost his penknife during the murders and indeed when the farm was demolished in 1923 a pocket penknife was found that couldn't be clearly assigned to anyone. But that former maid who had loads of opinions and theories was certain she'd already seen the penknife in the yard so it may well have belonged to the family or a mechanic or somebody. I just don't trust her as far as I can throw her. I think because she was throwing all those names around, it was almost deflection to something that she was potentially involved in. And she left, didn't she, six months before this happened? So had she left under a cloud? Had she discovered the incestuous relationship between father and daughter? Well, she was quite outspoken about the fact that she thought there was a ghost, so I'm not sure. Mm. I think you potentially wouldn't go on about that if that was the case. Yeah, potentially. But I don't know, yeah. And a final key suspect was a farm labourer called Peter Weber. Apparently back in 1919 or 1920, he talked about a remote farm Hinterkaifeck, saying he knew that only one old couple lived there with their daughter and her two children, and he talked about the incest between Andreas and Victoria, and apparently also suggested killing the old man to get the family's money. The guy he put him forward as a suspect even testified to this, but I just can't find out any more about this, it's just a passing comment, and it seems to be like everything else with this case, nobody knows for sure, so it's just one of those theories that's thrown around. And that there's almost too many theories... And they all, so many, aren't they? they all could be credible. Yeah. But when you go back so far in time, there's so little evidence to corroborate any of them. Exactly. The farmstead was ultimately destroyed after all evidence could be taken from it. Um, really, obviously, not all of the evidence had been taken from it, but what they could do at the time. This case is still legendary and it is one of the most notorious unsolved cases in German history. Books, films, plays, blog posts, newspaper articles galore have been written about it. In 2007, the students of the Police Academy in Feldenbruck. Honestly, Mark, I don't make my life easy, do I? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that word, I can see it here because I've got 
Um, I've got it in front of me. There's about 27 letters in that in that word. I do try and practice my my pronunciation and I really should just go with it rather than stopping and discussing how difficult it is to pronounce, shouldn't I? I should just Weirdly, these words, these German words, they they are quite easy to, pr- to pronounce when you read them because they sound like they look, if that makes sense, whereas some other languages are so weird. Um, but I will give that to the Germans. That looks kind of exactly how you pronounced it. Thank you. That's only if I pronounced it right, though, obviously. <laughs> I think I feel that you have. So the students of the police academy examined the case using modern criminal investigation techniques, but they literally only concluded that it is impossible to solve the crime after so much time has passed. I think that's fair. But it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They did get themselves a prime suspect, but they decided not to publish the name out of respect for that person's still living relatives. They said that the primitive investigation techniques available at the time of the murders, the mistakes made during the preservation of the scene, and the fact that the evidence has either been lost or destroyed over the years means it's just never going to be definitively solved. And personally, I also think that World War II will have had such a huge impact. So much changed and so many people died or moved. And so I have to agree, I just don't think this is ever going to be solved. My theory that I like is that serial killer theory. But like you said, any of these theories could well be the, the answer. What do you think is the likely option, Mark? I, th- I think there was a lot going on in that house. I think a lot more than anybody would have potentially known at the time. And I think there's a lot of possible credible theories. So daughter and father could have been having an incestuous relationship. She could have uh, had that child by her own father or by some guy in the village who was who she perhaps was threatening to expose their affair if he didn't pay up and he could have then killed them all it could just be like you've pretty much alluded to a a serial killer some kind of random killing but I find it weird that somebody would go out and kill a whole family and I think the weirdest part of this whole case for me is that they were lured I can never ever say that word, but they were lured to that. I love that you had lured, to say that word. Lu- I always want to say lured, lured. but it's lured. Lured, 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 lured. <laughs> they were lured to the lord to the barn. Is it like L O R D? Would you pronounce it like that? No, lured, lured. like lured to lured. the barn. Lured, uh, but they were one by one <laughs> called out to that barn, um, which yeah. is weird. And it started with Victoria, who was the daughter, the grown-up daughter. So why would you send a woman to go out if there's a potential threat out there? Why wouldn't the dad have done that? So maybe it didn't think it was a threat. Yeah. And yeah, it's really, really intriguing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I just, I don't think you're ever, ever going to get an answer on this. Happy end of the episode, guys. No answers whatsoever. So it's another bloody unsolved. It is, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you should be. Um, Yeah, like Bethan says, get in touch in all the usual ways. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, You can also watch this on YouTube in a couple of weeks' time with some accompanying photos. And you can leave comments under there. We get some lovely comments under those videos. You're only saying that because someone said you were handsome. Stop going No, I was taking the piss, really, because I find on YouTube people are really... um, horrible actually yeah they're Mm -hmm. absolute bastards um not all of them some people are really really lovely but otherwise yeah get in touch in all the other nice ways facebook instagram twitter 
and um, and also if you're a patron of the show, please do get in touch under the Patreon post and we'll discuss it there as well. Definitely. Now, before you go, guys, don't forget as well, CrimeCon, UK CrimeCon, partnered by Crime Investigation, is coming to London um, 12th and 13th of June 2021. Yeah, we just literally stoked about this because we wanted to go to the one in America and this is the American crime con but it's coming to the UK uh, the first time that it's come to the UK if you're a US listener and you've happened to have been to the US version it's going to be pretty much exactly the same but it's coming over to these shores yeah it is the ultimate true crime weekend if you haven't bought a ticket yet then you can head over to crimecon.co.uk if you put code RED, R-E-D, um, so you just put RED as the uh, code, then you get 10% off as an early bird special. But that uh, that offer's not on forever, so you need to get in soon. And the tickets are fully COVID-proof purchases, so if the event is unable to go ahead next June, then there is a refund uh, available, of course. Yeah, or if they change the dates, you just get an automatic refund or exchange, which is really, really handy. Um, so yeah, we're so excited. I'm, I'm mostly excited just about meeting as many of you guys as possible because we chat to a lot of you through social media um, and we, we know a lot of the names, but we never really ever meet any of you. Um, so this is a great opportunity for us to do that. Definitely. And if you do use code RED to get your tickets, to get that discount, please do drop us a message and let us know so that we can add you to the list as well to get a Seeing Red goodie bag. So you'll get a goodie bag full of exclusive Seeing Red merchandise, which is very exciting too. Right. Well, enjoy your week off from us guys talking at you. Um, And we'll be back the week after. We may have a little something for you next Wednesday, though. So do keep your eyes peeled uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get get something from us. You're making this sound incredibly sinister. (laughs) And I know you're not meaning to, but it sounded really creepy. (laughs) No, it's something very interesting for you guys. It is actually really good. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.